The Gun Experiment proudly presents Chopping It Up. And here are your hosts, Mike and Big Keith. Yeah, baby, what's up? You're looking at it. Everything's good in the world? As good as good can be, buddy. I like it. So guess what? What? Uh, you can no longer make fun of me for being a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. Are you now a green belt? I don't know. What's the next color? That was nice. I am now a purple belt. A purple belt. Okay. Is green the, the other way? Green is like a karate color, I think. I oh, know. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Went to, went to class the other day. I was sitting on the bench waiting to come in to train, and coach starts making a big speech about you know people training and sticking with it and how hard they're in this and that and he's like and this guy over on the bench he deserves to to get leveled up and calls me out on the mat and congratulations is it you. measured in the amount of sweat that happens when you roll around uh once you make purple you sweat less <laughs> actually <laughs> you make other people sweat oh okay exactly all right so. got it I'll all right, keep, man. I'll, I'll keep that in mind when I see someone wearing purple. I mean, you always talk about how you sweat peeling an orange. If you became a purple belt, you, you wouldn't have that problem. I think I'd still have that problem probably, <laughs> but, you know. All right, so I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And as gun owners, you know that we're always uh, looking to buy quality ammunition, but if you're looking for great ammo at a super reasonable price, look no further than our friends over at Target Sports USA. They even have their own ammo brand, New Republic, that Keith and I have been shooting fairly exclusively for months now, and the stuff really delivers. Be sure to sign up for their Ammo Plus membership at targetsportsusa.com, which gives you 8% off all ammo purchases, free shipping, priority alerts, and a whole lot more all for $95 a year. And if you're uh, looking to support us, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Leave us five-star reviews and comments on Apple. And, of course, you can leave comments on Spotify for every single episode. I actually was kind of cool. Um, I actually got a uh, an Instagram message the other day, and it was one of our listeners. He had his feet up on a, on a back porch looking out at the, the view, and he was, like, about to listen to the new episode. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was awesome. Yeah. So we're going to get into the show, but before we introduce tonight's guest co-host, I want to talk about our friends over at On-Site Firearms Training. They teach everything from beginner to advanced classes and can make you a better shooter and more capable defender with just about every firearm platform under the sun. Keith and I really like their weekly skill builder classes. They don't have cannon. They don't yet. We should talk to Ben about that. Yeah. That's a good idea. So you, gotta, you can't do everything under yeah, the sun. That's true. Well, just about, I said. Just about. All right. I said just about every, every okay. platform. Yeah. I think I was right in this one. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Well, I'll think of a few others. But we do like their uh, weekly skill builder classes, and uh, we've gotten a lot of value from those. So if you want to improve your shooting skill, look no further than on-site firearms training. Sign up for classes today at OFTLLC.us. Without further ado, tonight's guest co-host was on The Gun Experiment in our very first year of podcasting and has finally returned to chop it up with us. Please welcome Rob Pincus from the Personal Defense Network and ICE Training. Rob, what's going on? Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. I, I forgot that it's, uh, it's been as long as it has. When you said it like that, it, it actually sank in. It's been, I don't know, what is that, three years? Three years. Three years. You, yeah. you, were, uh, you were the first one to give us a shot and invite us to a training of yours, and uh, we, we really appreciate that. So, uh, yeah. so I wanted to make sure I said thank you. Yep. For sure. Yeah. You guys, I love the, uh, the whole thing, right? Like you guys have been really honest, I think about where you, where you kind of come from and how you come to this conversation and, uh, you came in and did the work. Uh, congratulations on the, uh, the belt, the advancement there, because, uh, like I said, I've seen you do the work in, in gun world. I'm sure you're doing the work on the mat too. Appreciate that. Appreciate that a lot. Thank you. 
So what's going on with you? You have a lot going on. I know. Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's just address the elephant in the room. You, after years and years of uh, thought and development, you have finally brought a, a firearm to market. Yeah, that's been the big thing for for twenty twenty three for sure. Uh, finally, getting the Avidity Arms PD ten uh, to market, uh, getting it out uh, has been. It's one of those things I hear people say, and I, I like the way you put it. Um, you know, thought and development, things like that. Some people, like I read the articles people have written, you're reviewing the gun. And, and I think, you know, there, a lot of them are friends of mine, right? So like, I think they're trying to be nice and polite and supportive and and sort of celebrate the success. But it's like, after almost a decade of <laughs> trials and tribulations and, and constant effort and work and failures and hurdles and jumping through hoops and fighting through the stench of death or, you know, <laughs> Rob has brought the, and I'm like, honestly, I really didn't do anything with it in 2019. So <laughs> it, was, it was definitely an on again, off again project, um, you know, that started with a conversation in 2013. Uh, and yeah, we can, we can definitely say a decade since it first occurred to me, like, yeah, I, I should do this. And then uh, about nine, eight and a half, nine years since we had the specs for the PD 10 and the vision for exactly what it was going to be. But you know, there was a lot of stopping and starting and, you know, a pandemic and a, a marriage or divorce or a baby and moving. <laughs> my, uh, one of my partners had a business, radical business life change, uh, you know, that, that, that we've changed vendors. And finally, um, it was really, I, I would say, the, all the background work that was done, and we've been shooting the gun. Everybody knows it, you know, at SHOT Show Media Day since about 2017. We've had combat focus shooting instructor conference video out there where people were shooting it before that, even 2016. Uh, I, I think that the reality is it wasn't until 2021 that we had a serious plan that actually made sense to take that prototype or that pre-production gun that they were all essentially, you know, kind of hand fit variations of parts from countless different vendors and homemade and Dremels and all that. Uh, it really was this last or, well, there was about an 18 month period where it was a lot of hard work. Um, it was a primary focus, you know, one of the top three or four things I had going on in my life for the first time ever. And uh, it was just about a year ago that we made the commitment to be selling the gun at SHOT Show 2023. And uh, it was at the uh, wholesaler show, NASGW. And I was, I was there at the wholesaler show last week talking to uh, various distributors and buy groups and, and reps from uh, some of the big box stores and like that. And, uh, it really sank in that, wow, it's, it's been a year and it's, it's coming up in January. It'll be a year since we shipped the first gun. So it, it, it is a big deal. So you've definitely, I mean, I've looked at some of the, the features you've put into it and it's obvious that you've really tried to put features in that maybe people would normally, you know, want to go and get done aftermarket, uh, definitely some aggressive texturing and, uh, and whatnot. I actually like the fact that you have, um, indexing points, um, on the frame already done. I think that's, that's kind of cool. Um, so what's the deal? I've, I've only read or heard this. So does the trigger, if I, if I'm not mistaken, does not have like a definitive wall, like a lot of striker fires do, it kind of rolls through a lot more is, was that by design? Yeah, there is a design to what the trigger is. And the trigger is, I think in the latest generations of the guns, the guns that we've been shipping the last couple months, um, you know, as, as anything, you know, I always say like a, a lesson plan 
uh, survives first contact with students, right? Like, so a, a gun, uh, we can only test it so much and only develop it so far before we have to say, okay, it, it's good. It's ready. It passes the test. It does the endurance. Like, let's send it out there. And of course, um, what's happened over the last nine, 10 months uh, has been evolution of the uh, manufacturing process. So parts have gotten better and uh, we can make the parts more efficiently than we could a year ago. And, you know, that kind of evolution will still occur. And I would say that, that the trigger is very, very much what it was intended to be. And it's, it's in- hard to describe. I've just said, uh, that's the lesson learned there is there's almost <laughs> no good way to say it because no matter how you say it, somebody hears something horrible, right? Like it's, gotcha. it's almost like, Oh, it's like a Glock. It, it's like an MMP. People kind of want to hear that, right? right because right. it's a frame of reference and there's enough people out there who like the Glock trigger that that's going to be okay. And there's enough people out there, even if they don't like a Glock trigger, they at least can say, well, they've sold hundreds of thousands of guns, millions sure. of guns that way. So it must be good enough. So when you say, no, no, I've done something different. People, you know, want to hear something awesome and, it's hard to describe, but, but the, the goal, you know, the user experience, which, which is a big thing with me uh, because I'm not an engineer and I'm not a manufacturer per se, like by trade, right. Although I've I've definitely learned a lot in the last couple of years, when I go to the engineers and I say, you know, here's what I want the users to experience. Here's what I want them to feel. Now you guys have to give me like the radius. You guys have to help me with the, the print. You guys have to help me with the make the machine do the thing and make the robot pick up the part and put it in the bin and put another raw piece of raw material in the machine, you know, 27 times a day or whatever the robot's going to do. Like, I don't do that part. Right. But I'm, I'm really keen on what, you know, thousands of hands have done with thousands of guns in my presence on ranges all over the world for a couple of decades, right? Like three right. decades going on it now. Right. So it's like, I know what I want the user to feel, but I don't know what angle on the trigger bar. Right. Part is that's, that's that. the part you have to rely yeah. on them for. But what's funny about that is like, you were talking about the Glock trigger and it's like, you're, if you're kind of, kind of going off the reservation a bit and going your own direction, people might say, well, you know, a trigger's supposed to be this or a trigger's supposed to be that. But what's interesting about that is before a Glock trigger was a Glock trigger, <laughs> there was no Glock trigger. You know what I'm saying? Like, in other words, if you're, right. if you, if you, people only go by what they know is the standard bearer. But at some point people have to innovate and create new things. And if nothing else, you know, that's, that's a a big and bold move on your part to try to kind of uh, go in a different direction and not compare it to what's already out there. Right. So that's kind of, kind of an interesting perspective on your end. It is. And one of the things I'm doing is kind of undoing what I think is some of the damage that's been done by Glock. You know, the, I remember when the transition training was happening, right? Like, especially in the law enforcement community from, you know, double action, single action guns, primarily in some cases from revolvers going into the striker fired Glock. And one of the, the, some of the people involved in that transition training would try kind of like sell the guys that were using, you know, SIGs or, or third generation Smith and Wessons with decockers, if they'd have a double action, single action, and they'd kind of sell these guys on the idea that the Glock trigger, it's kind of like double action, guys. The first trigger press is going to be long, but then you can get this really short, crisp reset, and it's kind of like a single action. And if you take up the slack and you go to this, the what we now call the wall, you go to the reset point, well, then it's, it's like you're shooting a single action gun. So essentially, they, there's a whole generation of <laughs> law enforcement guys and then who now are some of the, you know, these guys from the nineties are, are some of the biggest names in instructing. Now they come from that generation where they were taught explicitly 
to turn their defensive handgun into a two-stage trigger. Like, you know, it's a stage the trigger and then break the shot. Well, of course that works on a range and that works mm -hmm. to pass a qual course, but that doesn't, that's not really what you're doing when you have to pull the gun out in an emergency at, you know, two in the morning and fire five to eight shots into a guy's chest at 15 feet. You're not staging the trigger. So there's this target experience, target shooting experience that so many people have on the range with modern striker fired guns that, those of us who learn to shoot with revolvers or learn to shoot double action, single action guns, you know, we just foolish us. We just pulled the trigger until it went bang, right? right like right. Smoothly, as smoothly as we needed to, to maintain our alignment on the target, we pulled the trigger all the way through and the gun went bang. And if the follow-up shots were shorter and crisper and easier, so be it, but that we still had to be able to make the first shot. So this trigger is an attempt to get back to that where you just pull the trigger smoothly until it goes bang. Of course, it's not an eight or 10 pound trigger. It's, well, you know, Massachusetts aside, um, it's 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 a five and a half pound trigger, just like okay. a Glock is, or any of the any of the other popular. But it's got more of that like smooth kind of one right. single stage. You, you, I mean, is, right. is it fair to call it a single stage? No, I mean, you know, to any a striker gun's always going to have some kind of stacking, or there's going right. to be a transition. So that's the other part of the the coin is that somebody can be really nitpicky and they can pick the gun up and they can say, no, no, I I still feel the wall. And of course, the reset, the follow up shots are a shorter length of pull uh, yeah. for the trigger. So people say, well, you must have a wall. Well, of course I have a wall. It's a striker fired gun. But what we're trying to do is minimize the transition from when you first start pulling the trigger until the gun goes bang gotcha. and not have people searching for that staging point when they're on the range, you know, trying to shoot tight groups or whatever. And that, that definitely throws some people off and it might not even sound like it worked, but, but what's funny is like, I've even seen some of these GB guns. I don't know if you know uh, these like GB guns channel, it's, it's the best. He's complaining about the trigger the whole time he's doing the review. And then at the end, one of the things he does is he stands at like 21, yard, 21 feet and shoots at a one inch square. It's something he does on all his live fires. And he proceeds to shoot nine out of 10 shots into the same hole. And even the 10th shot that isn't in the same hole is still touching the one inch square, if I recall correctly. So like the it's a one inch group at 21 feet offhand with the trigger he's been complaining about in the review for 20 minutes. And then even at the end, he's like, it's still not as good a trigger as I'd like, but I mean, it works. <laughs> wow. So yeah, speaking, speaking of uh, trigger time and uh, you know, groupings, I hear you're going on a hunting trip tomorrow. Is that true? I am, but I'm, but I'm going to do the, I'm going to get sticks. I'm doing the, the throwing sticks with a, with a string uh, thing. So it's not, my, no groups, no follow-up <laughs> shots. It's like I throw the arrow and and oh, we'll gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay. Okay. I, I was for a minute there. I was like, wait, what's he talking about? What kind of hunting? <laughs> I, I was like, thinking like your kind of hunting. I think probably something like primitive. Like I thought you were gonna like a spear or something. <laughs> Rock. Oh, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to spear an animal. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I go to South Dakota every year um, with with actually it's a it's like a PDN retreat. So we've got some of the oh, guys cool. from Minneapolis. They drive into South Dakota, and I drive up from Denver, and uh, we spend a week uh, hunting and doing the camaraderie thing and the guys around a campfire thing. And hopefully this time tomorrow night, I am uh, cooking or have already eaten uh, backstraps with the boys over fire from a deer that I'll put down tomorrow afternoon's hunt. That's wow, usually awesome, my, awesome. my MO Good is luck. I try to get in there and shoot the first brown thing I see. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's the camp deer for the week. And then uh, I spend the rest of the week you know, either, either collected more meat for the freezer or, or maybe something I want to put on the wall, but nice. it's, a, it's a good time. I look forward to it. It's, it's really the only hunt that I do annually, uh, for about the, you know, we've been doing it for 12 years and, uh, I used to hunt a lot more, but, uh, you know, like all the hats and all the projects and Busy all the life. things, this 
one week a year I cut out. Yeah. Yeah. We started, Keith had mentioned, uh, you know, us going to your class many moons ago and you don't just do the whole like, you know, gun trainer thing. I know you're very involved with the mental health aspect of being a gun owner, the responsibility of being a gun owner. So this first article that we're going to talk about today, really, I was like, I actually want to kind of, you know, pick your brain on it, obviously, but this is a really, really sad story. I'm going to preface with that for the listeners. So at the airing of this show, Halloween will be about a week out. And this uh, Long Island man, so right here in New York, pulled a gun on a six-year-old uh, boy over Halloween candy. That's the that's the title here. And so the the story is that the uh, this boy's sister wanted to do this thing that they drop candy off at a friend's house. And it's kind of like ding-dong ditch. They leave the candy, they hit the bell, and then they run. And but with candy. With candy. So it's kind of a nice thing. And they did it. They, they Better than a bag of flame and poo. <laughs> yeah, any day. <laughs> And so they they do this. They leave the bag on the door. They ring the bell. The girl runs away. And then they realize, oh, shoot, I think this is the wrong house. So this, the brother says, I'll go run and get the, the bag of candy. And he goes to the door. And the this guy uh, comes out with a gun and puts it to the kid's head. And so this guy, uh, 43-year-old man, Michael Yiffen Wen, is his name, was arrested uh, for second-degree menacing and endangering the welfare of a child. So, I mean, obviously super disturbing, super irresponsible on this guy's part. Uh, the The story is, is that his family was very uh, upset. They were very kind of on edge because the night before or a couple nights before, someone late at night was banging on their door and the family thought that someone was going to break their door down. And so they were all edgy about who's banging on their door. I mean, I just, there's no excuse for it, you know, zero, but, uh, Rob, what do you, what do you think about something like this? It's, I just actually wrote an article that, uh, will be coming out in, uh, an issue of uh, Arm lifestyle magazine, for the holidays, you know, one of the things we always say about the holidays is in the gun world, you can be sure you're going to get reminders about two things, you know, uh, you know, protect your, your stuff, property crimes go up, don't leave packages unattended on the porch, I'll leave you your gifts in front of the window, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then you're going to get the and the conflict avoidance and de-escalation thing where people usually talk about like stealing somebody's parking spot or, you know, right. people getting aggravated for the, the rage. Last- toy store that kind of emotions are heightened and, and you got to be ready for people to be irrational and i and i kind of flipped the script a little bit and i'm like all this is these two things are true and they're important reminders but for gun owners we really need to be thinking about it differently you have to remember that you also are part of that heightened emotional response package that comes with the holidays and you have to remember that like stuff isn't worth shooting people over right. like ever Right. So if you go into the holidays and, and, you know, you think about Halloween, like everything you just said there at the end, the family was worried. Well, okay. But you also know it's Halloween and pretty much that's like the job of people is to go knock on people's random doors, like on Halloween night. Right. So, you know, you know where you are, you know, the context of operation for the evening, the idea that you're on such a hair trigger and you're so emotionally distraught and you haven't thought to yourself, a, if someone is coming to get me or whatever, break in, I don't want to open the door and confront them. That makes no sense. Not to cut you off, but that's exactly what I thought is. If yeah. you were that upset, first off, did the guy ever hear of a peephole or looking out of a window, right, right. right? Like, I mean, all you would have had to do is say, oh, wait, this is just this is just a kid, right? And then secondly, 
last time I checked, they were on the outside of his house, right? Like it's when they come inside that you got to worry, like call the police, have your gun at ready, obviously, if, if, if you're that nervous, but you don't need to open the door. That's like actually the worst decision, you know? And yeah, so you're creating, you're creating the opportunity for the violence, you know, and, right. and people don't, people hate it when I say that, but it's like, yeah, you just contributed to whatever happens, whether it's you quote unquote need to shoot the guy. Well, if you didn't open the door, you didn't need to shoot. Right, the guy. Exactly. Keith, what do you think? Thoughts? I, I think you guys are hitting the nail right on the head here. I just, you know, it doesn't, didn't make really any sense to me on, you know, why <clears throat> you open the door with, you know, uh, a gun in your hand to try to to try to solve the problem. It's just it, it it goes against everything what we've ever trained with or trained for or trained about and talked about in training classes that we've done. You just you wouldn't that's wouldn't be how you handle that situation. Right. The you only know? positive you, here was you, you didn't you're shoot not giving, through the door. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You're right, not giving right. you're not giving yourself any tactical advantage by opening that door. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and then the other part about this is in, in the article, it goes on to say that this is coming on the heels of, this is not like a one-time thing. There's a lot of instances where uh, people are ringing a bell, the wrong house, and they're getting shot. And there's, I mean, yeah, there's that, like three that happened or four. In, that happened in New York uh, not not too long ago, actually. Yeah. I mean, one guy shot a 14-year-old Turning around girl. in the driveway. Yeah. one That was one of them. And the other one was a guy shot a, a 14-year-old girl. She was playing hide and seek in his, in his on his property. And it's mm-hmm. like- I mean, she was playing hide and seek to a little girl. Like, I, I don't get it. You know, it's like craziness. Everybody's on edge. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talk about that a lot on the show. The idea that like everyone is just like really, really edgy. Um, speaking of edgy, it's a good segue here, Keith. Uh, we had a, uh, one of our own representatives was a little edgy. No, I disagree. <laughs> he, this guy is not on edge at all. He knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, and uh, that is why I find this story so was so interesting it's actually appalling his behavior is appalling yeah and i mean i'm glad he got caught i mean let's you know not be around the bush anymore but uh new york representative jamal bowman surrenders and pleads guilty over firearm fiasco fire alarm fiasco so if everyone remembers back at the end of september there was a threat of a government shutdown and uh, this story broke back then that uh um representative uh, bowman had pulled the fire alarm uh, on his way to a vote in the Cannon Building uh, in Washington, D.C. And from the beginning, it really felt like he was trying to avert, you know, the vote (laughs) to avoid the shutdown. Um, At the time, he claimed that he thought he was pressing the door, automatic door opener, complete cop out. He waffled back and forth a lot on this, right? Well, he, I, I, even in the beginning, I don't really think there was in the beginning, he was sticking by this story. I didn't realize I pulled a fire alarm. I thought I was pushing the door right. to open the automatic door. Well, they investigated and now he has finally admitted that he uh, intentionally pulled this fire alarm and has to pen an apology letter to the Capitol police chief. I just, I think it's just you said appalling. I'm going to use that word again. It's it's appalling that this is the justice. He gets a thousand dollar fine and has to pen a letter for impeding on a house vote. <laughs> you know, it, it just I, I don't understand how these double standard. Well, I do understand. I mean, it, it's very common, but um, it's pretty disgusting, pretty sick. And I mean, the video was again cl- very clear in my opinion. And, uh, hopefully, uh, 
you know, his district decides that uh, this was enough to vote him out next time around. Yeah. I mean, I, when you sent this to me, um, the first thing I thought of is the idea that, and, and we're, there's going to be a little bit of a theme on the going to the next topic here, but it, it it's the idea that it's, you know, there's two sets of rules. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Rob, I mean, we see this all the time in the Second Amendment community, right? It's like, how many times do you hear of, you know, a politician doesn't want to have have anyone have guns, and then you find out that they're, you know, doing something with guns, and it's like, wait a minute, I thought you're the guy that doesn't want guns. Yeah, I mean, I mean, critics have been saying, you know, he he was a principal at a school at one point, yeah. you know, in his school that he was a principal in, people would be expelled for doing what he did, right. expelled, yeah, <laughs> not able to complete their school. Right, you know what I mean, and and he it's a thousand dollar fine and has to pen an apology letter. Yeah, what do you think, Rob? Got any got any takes on this? Yeah, you know, you nailed it. I mean, it's the hypocrisy. It's the the just and and the the it's just so juvenile. I think that's yeah. the word. You know, it's, it's juvenile. So, Good word. So ridiculous. Like I, I just like if any whoever voted for this guy right now, just go look in the mirror and, and feel shame, embarrassed, and then yeah. fix yourself. Vote for better humans next time. Well, and that's a good point. It's like, when you say vote for better humans, it's like these people, and I do want to believe, I want to believe that politicians, many of them, most of them get involved. They, they start out, they want to do some good. And then somewhere they, stuck they in the it, machine. somewhere they get stuck in the, in the cogs and they just kind of turn into what we, nobody admires. Right. But I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, it's like behavior like that. I'm like, that's just, that says to me, you're kind of like a piece of shit human. You know what I mean? Like that's just for what to try to make a party look bad by avoiding a vote that would prevent the government from shutting down. I mean, right. li li literally, that's what we're talking about here, right? Well, you know, it's, like it's the way the process works. It's you're literally impeding the process that you don't have to like it, but that is the process. It's a process you were elected to preserve. Right. I mean, you, how, you were elected to preserve that. How process. often do we talk about frustrating the the court system is when it comes to gun rights, where you know, you win, you win a battle, but then, you know, I have, yes, we do. We talk about that all the time, frustrating, but, but, but that is the process, but that is the process. Exactly. It's not the process to go pull a fire alarm, you know, when, uh, when you're trying, when you don't think you're going to get your way in a vote. <laughs> so I had to follow this up, Keith, because I said it last week. I know and I was we like, never I'm, talked about and it. And I was like, I'm going to do it. So because we're talking about New York and we're talking about, you know, I mean, a little bit of shady, shady McGrady stuff here. So, so your your girl, Letitia James. Oh, the, I don't know if she's my girl. I like I, mean, I, I like to use her name every once in a while. I mean, you are her. You it are gets her. Me, it gets some doors open. You are her. So <laughs> so Rob, Keith went to go All buy. Right, we don't need to keep. <laughs> Keith went to go buy ammo under the new New York system where you have to run background checks, and they asked for an alias. This and, is the last time we're bringing this up on the show, all right? We've talked about it far too many times. There's too many records of this now. All and right? so Keith is uh, used the alias Letitia James. I so. did not use Letitia James. I used Tish James. Oh, okay. okay. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I, I, and I also think it's important that you tell every co-host this story. Yeah, for, exactly. I have a slight, I have a little bit of regret, uh, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so... I just thought, you know, maybe it would open the door faster. I did get approved instantly. You did so. get approved instantly. It worked. <laughs> you know, here's the problem. You're like, you're going to, I don't know, you're going to want to get a suppressor someday or get an <laughs> FFL or, and you're going to have to be on any, other, what aliases have you gone I'm by? Or been I know. By? I know. And you're going to have to put it down. Now yeah. you're stuck with it. Because I know. I, I hear it. I, I hear it. If I use you as a reference, I'm going to put that like parenthetical. 
Tish yeah. James. AKA, right? you got to do I it. I mean, technically, I can call you Tish, and there's not much you can do about it. It's, no, I put it on a federal record. form. You did. <laughs> All right, so let's get into Tish. So wait, whoa, 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 wait, 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 I put yeah. it on a state form. I, state form, yeah. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. You're not in my country. So. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Good, Listen, good I sold back a, sh- a piece of shit gun in a gun buyback to get money to buy another gun. They gypped you, and on they those. gypped me because every one of the gift cards was a fucking hacked gift card and didn't work. So tell, fuck no. you. Swear to God, Rob. And it's and it's anonymous, so you can't go back and say, "Hey, I got these cards" because they have no record that they actually gave them to you. So total bullshit. What a scam. Total scam. Um, so anyway, well, now you know where her estimated yeah. net worth came from. She's part of, your, part of your scam. Gift part cards. of this is my is my uh, Ruger LCP that I gave up. So all right, so her net worth is fifteen million dollars, and what's interesting, according to who? So I believe this is Forbes. It does say according to Forbes in the very top. Okay, I've also read this in a couple other places. So I'm gonna we're gonna go with this. A lot of her wealth comes from real estate assets where. There are records of her buying real estate at extremely, extremely low, below market values. Uh, she claims that she's just really good at finding mm. good deals. Yeah. She's claimed that. Yep. But this is the part that I found super, super interesting. So, and Clarence Thomas can't take a jet ride. Well, that's the, part, that's, that's the hypocrisy <laughs> there. But her net worth, $15 million. Um, and what I she got a $20,000 inheritance. There's that. But this is the part that I find super interesting. So she was, let me see if I have my numbers here. In 2013, she was elected to the public advocate for New York City. So again, 2013. And in 2010, 2010, she was worth $150,000. 2013, she gets elected. 2014, one year later, she's worth a million dollars. Then in 2018, she's elected to the attorney general. By 2020, she's worth $10 million. I mean, you can't make this shit up. Like, that's just way too coincidental for me and wild. I just cannot believe that these public officials are making this kind of dough. What is this list of Letitia's favorites that is on this article? You want to read them? Uh, No. I mean, favorite food, (laughs) fried chicken, favorite perfume, Gucci, bamboo. Are these real? Favorite high holiday, Hong Kong. Michael Kors watch, Million Dollar Baby, favorite movie, uh, she likes Gucci, uh, handbag, uh, favorite actor, Chris Tucker, Versace, favorite shades, and her favorite singer is Mariah Carey. In 2019, Tish was named one of the Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world. Jeez. She's influencing real estate deals. She's opening doors for me. <laughs> Got you ammo quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to some gun stuff. Why don't we talk uh, about this main shooter? Ah, gosh. I, you know, I was reading this article a, a third time, I think, after we decided to put it in the show notes. And uh, I just, I was like on the fence. I just didn't really want to give this guy any more discussion. Well, but uh, apparently. Um, I think this is important, though. Well. And Rob, this goes into your <laughs> mental health stuff. So I think this is kind of a good one. So before last week's uh, main uh, mass shooting in Maine, I, I, I'm going to call it a mass murder. I'm, I'm taking a page out of Mossad Ayub's book here. It's not a mass shooting. It's a mass murder. And, um, you know, there basically, if everyone remembers, he was an army reservist and um, his uh, army commander uh, decided that uh, he should not have access to any firearm ammunition or live uh, firearm activity um, based on his mental health evaluation in mid-July. 
And uh, I guess part of the problem with this is that it didn't um, it didn't extend outside of the army because uh, any of his firearms that he owned in a civilian status were not included in this. Um, however, his army unit did um, did reach out to the local sheriff's department and uh, express some concern over. Uh, his w- health and welfare and asked for a welfare check and and the sheriff's department did did carry that out uh, was was unable to get in touch with him the first couple times they attempted to do it um and then the sheriff's department was able to get in touch with some of his family and apparently his brother-in-law said you know that he would be responsible to take care of any firearms that were uh, in the possession of of uh, this individual. And obviously, either that didn't happen, or uh, he was able to get in, get another firearm after that happened. Um, but long and the short of it was, this happened in you know October, and as early as July, there was documented issues right. with this person's mental capacity. And so the reason why, I mean, I, I I hate talking about this stuff, but the reason why I think this is important is because. We always talk about it's not the gun, it's not the gun, it's not the gun. But like, here's a perfect example. It's of, not. It's, mean, the, it's the mental health issue yeah. in this case. And Rob, you know, I really want to go to you. I know there's like organizations like Hold My Guns is one. I believe you're involved with one very intimately, if I'm not mistaken. Is there an organization with mental health that you're involved with? Yeah, I'm on the board of Walk to Talk America. Um, and hold, the Hold My Guns idea is a great idea. The organization um, struggles because they, they have a very... Uh, bureaucratic process, I guess. Let's say that I think, you know, they've been around for a while and, and four or five years, I think they have like, last I knew, literally five gun shops around the country yeah. officially on their program. But there are thousands of gun shops around the country that have signed up. Like Colorado has a list of, of, on the gun project uh, here that, that shows um, where gun shops have said, yeah, we'll hold your guns in the case of a mental health issue or other issue that, that you think you should separate yourself from your guns. And honestly, I don't know a gun shop that wouldn't, if you walked in and said, Hey, I just need to get myself separated from these guns. Like you can put them on consignment, put them in for gunsmithing. You know, I just, I don't, I don't know a single gun shop that's not going to help you through that process on earth. Right. Because how, how, you know, how do you deal with that? Nope. You keep them buddy. And then you're going to be in the headline because right now I think I want to talk to his brother-in-law, you know, and I say this all the time. Yeah, like, I, I want and, to talk- and just a little correction. I said brother-in-law was his brother, but thank, thank brother, you for bringing yeah, it up. Yeah. Brother, well, the brother, I want to talk to him, right? Like, <clears throat> what did you do? Because, and again, I'm not sure of the details either. Did he take c- control and possession of the guns? Did he take the firing pins out of the guns? Did he, did he talk to him? Did he take him to a, a therapist, to a counselor? Did that counselor tell him, no, I think your brother's okay. Let him keep his guns. Like, what did the brother do? And did he do nothing? Right. Because yeah. if he did nothing, okay, then you're on trial. Yeah. Uh, and I, and that may not be fair. People may say, no, that's not fair. I think it's incredibly fair. And I think it's kind of like when the parent leaves the loaded gun and the load, the kid takes the loaded gun and like shoots themselves negligently, you know, a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, whatever it is. And they don't prosecute that parent because they've lost enough already. And it's already a tragedy for the family. It's like, well, I think you're wrong. I, I think that this kind of negligence is kind of not taking care of each other because that's what you're not doing. As a parent, you're not taking care of your kids when you leave a loaded gun around. The brother who, who tells the authorities, I will take care of I will address this with this other person and takes responsibility for that. Well, guess what? With responsibility, then comes accountability when you fail. 
And, and this is what we need to do a better job of. There's always the family member, the, the neighbor, the coworker, somebody who knew something was wrong. And we see that more and more often. And I think about like New York, um, the Buffalo shooter, remember mm-hmm. he yep. had uh, been, he, he had gone through a uh, psycho, uh, psych evaluation. I don't know what it was, six, eight months before and was given a green light. Like, nope, you're fine. Well, I want that. I want that therapist in the, in the courtroom. I want to talk to you. You know, yeah. I want to find out what, where, why are these failures that are so clear? Why are we worried about like having an 11 round magazine Right. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with any of this. While the brother and the therapist and that the, maybe maybe the sheriff's office and maybe the commander of that military reserve unit. Why aren't they being talked to about their failure to follow through on what they obviously saw? Well, as a problem? I, I say a lot of the times I think part of the problem I try to look like historically. Right. Like have have we ha- have we just recently invented guns like now the guns have been around forever. Right. And and our country has had tons of guns forever. And when you look at like what's changed and it, it's very hard, this is, you know, anecdotal evidence. It's hard to really prove this, although there's people who could, I think, when you look at what's changed in our society, like have our morals and values changed, you know, do we, do we, you know, at one time we were very much a, um, you know, we had one, one person in the house and one person going to work and do, does that make a difference? Yeah, it probably does make a difference. And the one that I always go to in terms of the mental health stuff is, and I, and I have to preface it, they were not nice places, but we had a place to put people who were mentally insane or criminally insane, crim, criminally mentally insane. And those places were not the most humane places. So we shut them down. But now what do you do with people when they are going through yeah, troubles? That was, that was the wrong answer. You know, the, the answer wasn't, you know, you, you got a, you got an, an infection in your finger, like get some antibiotics, don't cut off your arm. Right. right. So that was the problem with, with the, the whole asylum situation saying, no, these things are bad. Well, yeah, maybe some of them were bad and some right. of the way they were being operated were, was bad, but we still need it. And, and it's the terms that we use, you know, when we talk about it inside of these conversations with Walk Talk America and, and the mental health professionals, it, and it comes up again and again, it's, it's very simple. It's not clinical. It's not technical. It's, it's people who are a danger to themselves or others. Right. And usually not always, but usually these situations are temporary and we need to start thinking about mental health more like physical health. So if, if I tell you I hurt my arm, you know, or if I just say, oh, I've got an injury with my arm, I'm not going to be able to go hunting tomorrow. You say, oh, it's too bad, Rob, but you don't assume that like a shark bit my arm off, right? You assume I pulled a muscle or maybe I right. fell and broke my arm, yeah. but it's something we can address and we can <clears throat> heal and I'm going to be back next archery season, you know? Right. Um, mental health isn't usually forever and especially these acute moments where someone really is a danger to themselves or others, those are almost always treatable, uh, but you have to be a- assertive. You have to be, you have to have an intervention kind of mindset. If you're the friend or the family member of that person, you have to not be worried about being wrong. You have to not be worried about causing them difficulty. Like if you're saying, gee, I- I'm not sure about my buddy who owns guns, the difficulty of the awkward conversation is nothing compared to being the brother that I just called out for not maybe having right. done anything to keep 16 people from being killed in Maine. Keith, did you, earlier today, this is, uh, you know, we're talking about basically how to make sure people are safer and that these things don't happen. You sent me the thing on Stephen King. Do, do you want to kind of talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean, just? it's not entirely related to where we just were, but, um, you know, basically there was, um, 
I can't I'd come across a New York Times article that had published an essay that was written by Stephen King, and it it, it was short. It it wasn't very, um, it wasn't a very long essay, but it basically, you know, it, it was titled that uh, Stephen King on mass shootings again, murders, in my opinion, uh, were out of thing. We're, we're out of things to say. And, you know, um, I'll just read a couple a couple of representatives and or a couple of quick lines from the article. And it starts off by saying um, or I say th- this is there is no solution to the gun problem and little more to write because Americans are addicted to firearms. And, you know, he he goes into, um, you know, discussing how every one of these instances are a gut punch and. Uh, I never thought it could happen here, but, you know, it can happen everywhere and in in any place. Uh, And he's, you know, uses the line locked and loaded country. Um, Guns are available and targets are soft. And then he said, uh, finished it up by basically saying, uh, when rapid fire guns are difficult to get, things will improve. But I, I see no such improvement in the future. Americans love guns and appear willing to pay the price in blood. And, you know, basically there were also a few letters to the editors from some readers. And, you know, I, I get so, I don't know why I sent it to you is it got me fired up because, and I think this happens a lot and and maybe this is where it relates to the discussion and people react to information that they see or, uh, you know, and I, and that's what concerns me about red flag laws or, or instances of where people are, are, you know, losing their their right to to have a firearm without due process, and the, one of these letters to the editor, you know, it 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 quickly just started quoting some CDC uh, study that that said that the leading cause of death between the ages of one and nineteen is is by a firearm, and I'm like, <laughs> you're quoting this study, but you're not seeing the flaws in the study, which are. Right. You know, we're including 19-year-olds. They're not children by definition, right. you know. Um, the vast majority of the – if you break down the ages farther, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds are make up overwhelmingly 75 – more than 75% of the total ages that were included in that. So it's not really 1 to 19-year-olds. It's primarily 16, 17 – 18 year old. So I just get, you know, we, we use these things as arguments and we don't really, we don't really do the research into, you know, what we're saying. We just quote a statistic because it was from the CDC. And what we think I, it's good. Where I think this wraps directly into what we were talking about is the idea, and you kind of, kind of, you know, touched on this yourself, but it's just the idea that the, the author from the New York times who was sort of speaking about Stephen King's, Piece. It was actually a, a reader. It was a letter to the editor. So yeah. it was a reader. A and so what letter. he was saying was basically like, you know, a woman. Stephen King is, I think know, by he's name. tired, he's giving up and, you know, yeah. some, someone else needs to kind of step in and, and yep. substitute for, for the guys that are tired of fighting the fight. And it's like, the problem is, is you, you keep citing the gun, the gun, the gun, right? But we, we have these situations like um, the, the main shooter where... Yeah, the gun was was the tool, but was it not mental health that actually caused this to happen, right? Like, I mean, it was. It was mental health. A, a, a mentally sane person isn't doing that. 
normal, and, everyday, normal people don't do things like this. Right. And so you know? it's just, I found that, Stephen, when you sent that to me, it's just very related to me in the fact that it always seems to go, New York Times is, you know, they're they're culpable for this. They're always, they just go for the gun and, you know, they they misuse statistics and numbers like you're stating. It's I mean, just, I don't think they misuse it. I mean, the CDC published it that way. That's the way they published it. I just, you know, I went... I went and I, you know, did some additional research comparing the CDC study from that, uh, and I got some information from um, the Crime Research uh, Center, or uh, what is it called? Um, I always forget the- uh, Pew Research Center? Yeah, CPRC. Oh, okay. And, um, And they had some information from this direct CDC study that was used, and that's where, you know, they broke down some of these issues, and- you know, I just, I don't know. It's just tough. You know what I mean? Like, listen, everyone's entitled to their opinion, right? Everyone's entitled to sure. how they are. But if you're going to use, you know, math is a funny thing. It doesn't oh, yeah. lie, but you can manipulate. You can manipulate it, For sure. you know, and that's what these statistics are, in my opinion. Uh, I think that the the real issue, like the the solution approach is to say, what what I, and I, I kind of lost track. Was it the reader? Was it the New York Times guy? Was it the letter? Was it Stephen? <laughs> whoever well, said they were tired yeah. of, of fighting against this idea. Stephen like, King said that. Yeah. Stephen King said that. He's like, you know, kind of tired. Good, Stephen King. You've you've now accepted the reality of the situation. So how do we mitigate the risks created by the actual situation? Since we can't wish it away, you know, nobody does more to prevent negative outcomes with firearms than gun owners. Right. Yeah. It's like it's us, it's our families, it's our people. The guns are in the safe. The guns are we do education. We do responsibility like hundreds. All these numbers. You guys talk about the numbers and people are like, do you know, there's hundreds of millions of guns in the hands of civilians in America. Yeah. And do you realize that there while there are hundreds of millions of guns, there won't be 10,000 used in violent crimes this right. year. So yeah. Right. Statistics. Right. Like somebody's doing that. Somebody's being responsible with the guns and it's us. So. If once you resign yourself to like, okay, let's stop fighting this this fantasy fight where semi-automatic guns are the problem or magazine capacity is the problem or guns in general are the problem or handguns are the problem. Let's stop doing all that and and actually accept the reality of private sector gun ownership and then address potential pitfalls. And that's what the gun community does. And we waste a lot of time arguing with people who want the guns to go away, which is which is just a fantasy, instead of helping us reduce negative outcomes with the guns that are here to stay. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I'm going to kind of use this to segue into the next article here. I, <laughs> I can't wait to see this. <laughs> I, I, I really... I really feel like there's this degradation of just our societal norms and what we find to be acceptable. And, and, you know, we've become so open because of the internet and Keith, I'm going to kind of use your, your standard line of like social media is like, a, it's just not a good place. It's dangerous. And even though I use it for the reasons that I use it um, and you don't, um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a scary place out there. You know, it's dangerous out there in the streets, like I always say. And well, I'll help so, you. I'll help you segue in here. When I've said it before, when sexuality, all great empires have fallen when 
this when sexuality becomes too open. Yeah, and so this article you sent it to me it was pretty funny. This is uh, she's a girl, a girlfriend for hire who's using AI to help satisfy her customors. And I forget exactly what you said. <laughs> I but gotta go find it. Myself. It was it was something like uh, you know when you can't even tell if uh, <laughs> if if the sex stuff is real or something like that. Um, yeah, when you can't you, even trust when you can't even trust a phone sex line or something. I yeah. said I don't even remember myself. And so this story is about this. Oh me. yeah, you can't even trust paying for adult content. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, this girl, you know, Ella Darling, she's a 37-year-old adult creator in Austin, Texas, and she's she's busy. She's she's using this well there's some funny stuff here too, but so she's using AI tools to help run her um phone sex. Her her her, her business, yeah, her uh, OnlyFans business. And you know, I mean like some of the stuff she's doing is she's using it to like write these like scripts that she can then read that are like, yep. you know, that, that are kind of like enticing to men. Now in, in her defense, she did say that the, the, the AI chatbot that she's using won't get sexually explicit. Right. She has to edit that. in. Right. But she, she can do soft porn and then edit in the she's hard using stuff. dungeons and dragons. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is what yeah. She said, and then she's using AI to like edit photos and like, you know, whatever Keep track of conversations that she has with people because she can't remember that, what she says. That was the, so that one was really funny. She's using it to like, if she wants to know like where this gentleman went on vacation, she can quickly recall yeah, so she's using uh, AI to transcribe yep. the conversations that she's having, and then she's able to quickly search those transcripts for, oh, I know he mentioned he went on vacation, but I don't remember where. And So my favorite, this is my favorite, <clears throat> being wildly intimate with a person, especially online, can require so much mental energy. Some days I'm not feeling 100% into it, and I don't want it to show. And I'm thinking you're not 100% into it because you're not actually into this person. Like, <laughs> like that's the reason why. And you know, when you sent this to me, and you know, knowing you as well as I do, I feel like you know there was this little resistance of like AI, the technology piece. And I will say, uh, Robin, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the AI stuff because from a business standpoint, um, I've dabbled a little bit with AI to use to use AI to kind of like you know do some transcription and then create some stuff content wise, um, it is, a, it is a, it's a useful tool. It's kind of like the internet, right? The internet's a super powerful tool, but it also can go awry. And obviously there's a lot of fear with AI going, you know, sideways quickly. Um, Rob, what are your thoughts on, on the whole, just the AI thing? And then I'll kind of bring it back to the societal stuff. Do you, do you like it? Do you not like it? Are you petrified? What's, what's your thought? I'm definitely not petrified. I'm I'm like super, super okay with it. I think that I would like to just, I guess there are times when, I mean, kind of, I'll take it right back to the article, right? There's times when you know, like you're only an idiot if you, if you don't know that this is fake, mm. right? So when you call the phone sex chat line, this is fake. When it's, when it, you go to a strip club and the woman is like, flirty with you this is fake right and if you don't know that then i'm then i'm sorry like that's a whole different conversation so i, I didn't so, think that when i was 16 but you know well, you we weren't, yes, we weren't supposed like, to we're all, we're all at 16 right so that's that's okay so it's like i don't i don't care like i applaud her for her business acumen in in integrating ai and i agree with what that I, yeah what i don't think is somebody shouldn't be putting out like an article in you know, pick your magazine. I don't care if it's Recoil or, or, or Newsweek or The Economist. If they had AI help them write it, 
then just say this is an AI powered article and right. I'm cool with it. Like, don't, don't tell, put your name on the byline, but you use AI to write it. Um, when, so about a year and I have not had time. I'm super curious and, and I see things all the time. I've had two experiments with AI over the last year. I, I downloaded one of the, the chat bot, whatever thingy apps. And I said, write a three paragraph, three paragraph essay about Rob Pincus. Cause I was, I had just listened to something on some news show about how amazingly accurate these things are. And the guy usually used the example. He said, like, you could put your own name in there and find out things about yourself you had forgotten. And the internet never forgets. I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I'm like, write, you know, write a three paragraph essay about Rob Pincus. And it came back with a three paragraph, very well-written three paragraph essay. And it, it was 97% right. The only thing it had wrong was it said that I grew up in a family of hunters which was, is, is entirely inaccurate. Um, yeah. I did not grow up at all with a family of hunters. My stepfather, um, who came into the picture when I was like 15, uh, was a lifelong hunter, but but I did not grow up in a family of hunters by any stretch. So, so, it, so really, I'm giving it like, a, I would give it like an A minus, right? Like right. it had one fact wrong, and I don't know where it found that fact, but it, it's not incre- It's not impossible that that was in, you know, a, I, a I bet you could have asked it where I found it. So- Rob, I actually, I have an interesting, I'm glad you said that. I have an interesting take on that concept. So I, first of all, I agree with you. I think people using it as tools for their businesses, just like she is. I mean, you know, her business is a different kind of business, but <laughs> I, I think that that's fine if you're using it for efficiency's sake. In terms of like writing articles. So I don't think that someone should have AI create an article on a topic. Like, let's say you were going to create a topic on podcasting and you said, write a how to start podcasting thing. If I, as the gun experiment, if I say, Hey Rob, I'm going to, I want to hire you. I'm going to have you write for the gun experiment and you're going to write under, you're not going to use Rob Pincus. You're going to, you're going to write as the gun experiment. Right. And you're creating content for me and I'm paying you for that. Right. So I kind of look at AI like, like that. Like if you're using it as a tool, you're using it almost like a digital writer. Like you're, you're, you're using it to create your content. I don't have a problem with that and saying it's your content as long as you are not just having it spit it out and and publishing it as is. So the reason I say that if is- You have to massage it? And, well, because, all right, so I had- You a have guy, to edit it? I, that- I had someone write- Let me, let me just, just one quick clarification. Yeah. Are you, if if, if I'm, I think there's a difference between me doing that as Rob Pincus on yep. the byline yep. and me doing it as- Personal Defense Network. Here's a here's a, an unattributed article for Personal Defense Network on inside the waistband carry. Then I don't care if I had an intern do it who's never carried a gun yeah. or an, a robot do it. They're good to me. They're going to be kind of equal. Right. It's not me attributing it to this guy with a resume. Yes, I a agree. I see what you're saying. Like you're not saying Rob wrote it. You're saying it's just yeah. an article being yeah. from the company. Right. Yeah. And yes. so the reason the reason I say that is because. Um, if I'm going to do a, a paper on podcasting, right? Well, I can go in and sift through the internet and find all these facts about podcasting percentages and how many podcasters listen, you know, quit within the first seven episodes and right. I can do all I mean, that. It's all, it's all there. But when you read it and like someone sent me a copy, copy one time and was like, Oh, I, I wrote this article. Like, what do you think? And I was like, it sounds like a goddamn robot wrote it. Like it has no personality. It has no, like, so I said to him, give it to me. And I'm gonna I'm gonna show you what how I think it should sound. And so I took it and I kept all the factual information. And then I added kind of like my tone, the way that I speak, the way that I write. And when it was done, he was like, "Oh, I see what you mean now. Like I, I understand like how I should be using this tool, because it." And, and do you know who um, uh, Vaynerchuk is, Rob? Gary Vaynerchuk. 
No, maybe not. No, he's like a big like content creator and he's out there. He makes, he's very, very wealthy and he's very into creating content. So he was saying how, just like now you have people who do copy for a living, there is going to be someone who uses AI and then they kind of do what I'm saying, which is they're they making copy, but using AI as the tool. So I just think that, that that's more the, the way that it should be used. Now, so I just want to clarify what that means, yeah. right? You're talking about using AI to create the content and then edit it or massage it in a yes. way that is a personal tone to it. Cause writing a writer has a tone, right? When they write. So, you know, I, I guess my question to that is twofold. One, how much editing has to be done before you can put your name on it? And two, how do you know that what AI told you is true or false that's and good, that you're putting your name on? That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and maybe that's why, like yeah, that's, Rob said, that's, that's first person research. Like yeah. you're, you know, very rarely you're going out and doing first person research, right? Like we're, we're always relying on sources. So I think that's, that becomes the problem. I can't, if the source is interesting, yeah. But Bill, like then I've got, then I think I look like an idiot right today. Now, maybe not in five years, maybe not in three years. I don't know. But mm -hmm. right now I don't think you can cite chatbot. You remember like 20 years ago, you couldn't, you couldn't cite Wikipedia. Right. Yeah. Well, now yeah. you can cite Wikipedia. It's, yeah, it's right, like, yeah, it's yeah. Fast enough now and it's, it's edited fast enough and it's good. Problems are corrected and mistakes are corrected fast enough. There's enough peer reviewing going on there that you can not be an idiot. Maybe you can ask the AI chatbot to give you sources. <laughs> That's very, very, very different from having it write yeah. the, the actual paragraph. So when like, with, like the request I made, write a three paragraph yeah. essay would not give me facts about Rob Pincus, which then I would then try to with turn sources. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to switch gears here really quick. I'm going to stay on this topic, but we're just going in this direction. Like, you know, sex workers and, and strip clubs. And I mean, that's been around oldest profession, right? It's nothing new. But I think in terms of like how normalized it's become Correct. is the problem. And so, and I'm going to wrap this into guns and then, you know, Keith, I'm going to let you go to the next article here. But I find it disturbing that you can't post a picture of a pistol sitting on a rock without it being a problem on Instagram. But the other day, and I shit, you know, I had to show my wife. I was like, you got to see this. It was a girl wearing a... Um, a see-through negligee and she bends over. And I mean, there was nothing left to the imagination. You could see, I mean, every part. Next time, can you send that to me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like, I said, I can't believe that that's okay. Instagram has no zero problem with kids seeing that kind of stuff. But show a gun on a rock or show someone, you know, uh, Showing gun safety stuff. The compass is not calibrated. It's not calibrated. You're a hundred percent. Actually, there's a, the other, I remember I told you I did two experiments with AI. The other one I did was one of those AI art things. Yeah. And I think it said something like uh, draw a cat shooting. And I mentioned, I, I forget what gun it was, but like give, show me a cat shooting a scar or whatever it yeah. was. And it, it wouldn't do it because it, the prompts reflected unsafe uh, content or whatever. So that, so just back to your point, like yeah. if I would have said, show me a cat blowing a donkey, it yeah. probably would have been fine. Oh, ero erotica would be a hundred percent. Okay. Like, but, but it couldn't show me a cat shooting a, you know, yeah. MP5. But it's just weird. Like, and Keith, you said like, it's, we're not calibrated. It's just, it's like, we're so bizarre. And I would love 
to ask somebody from one of these tech companies like why that is like why are we okay with sexualizing young kids and but but guns and and especially safe handling of guns. I think they would say that that doesn't hurt anybody. You know, well, you know, honestly, I, 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 I don't know how you could say that. Sexualizing young kids, I don't. Yeah. Know. I mean, but I, I see what you described with the with the the woman. They're going to say, well, you know, you have to be fourteen to have an Instagram account. Yeah. And if an eight year old has an Instagram account, then that's on the parents, not on us. Since when is so, four, since when I, they, fourteen? I, I think that's. I definitely think that's something they would say. I also think you know it's it's a. You know, one of those things where, um, you know, they would say you're allowed to live your life how you want to live your life. You're allowed to, you know, say you're you're uh, uh, a man when you're a woman. You know, you're like they would just but, say they, uh, that, but, that that all that falls into the same category. But wait a minute, you can't say I want this. Is, this gets me so irritated. no, they're hypocrites. Right? They're they're, they're, yeah. they're hypocrites. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to say it. I mean, <laughs> I I did find it funny that on the same. Uh, at the, around the same time that uh, I sent you this article, I also had come across uh, a White House um, a White House news rele press release. Excuse me, that was from uh, Biden's uh, um, office. I don't even know what to say. Uh, anyway, wasn't uh, from it, him. It, it, yeah. <laughs> well, apparently he has some concerns over AI after watching the new Mission Impossible movie, yeah. which I just. <laughs> the way the, I, now again, I full disclosure. This is uh, a, a New York uh, Post article that is obviously trying to spin the fact that uh, Biden is possibly making executive orders based on of a of, of a, based off of a movie. Right, and it's entertaining as hell. It's though. entertaining, and I'm not saying that's you know I'm not saying that's true. I'm not saying that's what happened here, but it did make me laugh because. It's exactly why we can't have suppressors in New York State from you know <laughs> from all these mob movies and people you know killing people silently instead of you know using a suppressor for what it is really good for protecting your hearing. Um, but watching uh, Mission Impossible and the the newest one that came out and um, seeing how it became uh, you know such a big part of that movie. Uh, one of the concerns that Biden has is is uh, how AI could maybe make social media more addictive. Um, or so, uh, I mean, are you on board with that? Because that's something that you you know you you're worried about social media. So I'm listen. I'm I'm very on the fence about all of these AI tools in general. Some of them seem really useful, and I, I think I, as I, tools I, they can be useful. But the pro and it says I'm reading it right here from this article. It says AI can take three seconds of your voice and turn it into an entire fake that's conversation. Scary. And that is how how do we authenticate? And I will tell you, I have a very close friend of mine um, who had this happen. He received a phone call one night, and it was a, a voice that was his son's. Mm -hmm. And it was saying that he had gotten into a car accident and he needed he needed help and he needed money. And it was artificial intelligence. Wow. It was it was he he was able to look at his phone and see where his son was. And he was like, No, my son's fine. He's at where he's supposed to be. But I had to make you nervous anyway. I mean, it made him very kid. nervous. Yeah. I, that was you know what I mean? He he didn't know what to do at first. And he said it sounded exactly 
like his son. It sounded exactly Why like Why did that happen? Was someone trying to get him? Someone was trying to get him to send money. The The uh, voice asked for money. I need money. I'm, I, I just got into a car accident. I need to give this guy money or whatever the case was, something wow. to that effect. And it, it is certainly happening. Yeah, that scares me. You know, I mean, so, and again, I'm, you know, I'm certainly not a fan and I'm a big critic of our, of our current president and the administration, but <clears throat> under, I'm reading this from the article under the first of its kind companies such as Google, Amazon, and Microsoft backed open AI will be required to share safety test results yes. with the government. Whenever they train an AI model that poses a potential serious risk to national security, national economic security. Who's going to monitor this? Well, the problem. <laughs> okay. So I just want, I want to give a little bit of credit. I think that there do need to be stop gaps in place. Yeah. but And so, hold on, just follow, follow me through to completion here. Um, I think that there does need to be some stop gaps and safety measures in place for AI, because again, I think there are some useful tools there, but, um, what concerns me though, is exactly, we'll talk about your friend's situation here. Yeah. The government's gonna be like, yeah, we need security risk to save, to, to protect us. But what about the average guy that doesn't want to lose money on a scam like that? Like there needs to be protections overall, if you're going to use this kind of stuff and limitations on it. Saying there needs to be protections and actually putting protections in place are two different things. And saying that there needs to be protections so that it makes you look good on the ballot is totally different then what are you actually going to do to prevent Agre this? Agreed. I mean, he, you have to follow through and make them happen, obviously. Right, which we which we have lots of examples of neither Not, side, neither side doing, doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, what do you think about in terms of like the you know the safety measures and things like that? Like, because you said you're not worried about it at all, but obviously there are some bad use. Yeah, so it, it, it's, it's, so I just, I, when you were saying that, I was thinking of guns. Like I always get into this thing with, with media when I'm like, you know, quote unquote debating or discussing with people who are generally anti-gun, it's like mandatory training. You know, you must, you are a trainer, you're an educator, you write books and curriculum and all that. You must think this is a good idea. No, mandatory training is a horrible idea because I don't trust the government to yeah. determine or administrate the appropriate level of training or, or, nor should it be mandated because it's an enumerated civil right that we have protected. We shouldn't have to do something first, all those things. But the bottom line, the, the moral piece of that for me really is personal responsibility and accountability. And the person who, like, if you give a gun as a gift, if you're selling a gun across the counter, like, I think you have a responsibility to verify or encourage or, or provide the opportunity for education and, and a safe storage and all that other kind of stuff. So it, the people who are creating these AI things, and I get it. Like, it, how are you going to find like the super dork that created that? Like, and I'm saying that in a very positive, like admirable, like I, you know, I, I'm kind of a dork sometimes too. Like that guy who created the thing that was allowed to create the voice that scammed the guy or tried to scam the guy, obvious genius, but also someone along the way was, was irresponsible or reckless in the way that was allowed to, to get into the hands of the bad guys. Right. So I doubt like the bad guy himself who initiated that call probably wasn't the person that wrote the code that allowed and, and built the computer. Right. So right. somebody needs to be accountable. I would think along the trail for, Hey, if you're like, I'm selling guns, man. Like I've thought about responsibility. Like, like that's a thing, right? Like we put walk the talk America stuff and the gun pro pledge. And we put, my manual is like, I consider it my 10th book. Like we put stuff in there about how to use the gun safely and appropriately and responsibly beyond just here's how you clean it and store ammunition and guns separately when not in use, which every other manual has that in it and says, period. I know that's farcical if I'm selling a defensive gun. So I have to write a few paragraphs about 
storage and staging and all that, right? So I'm taking accountability for this gun that I'm putting out into the world. These computer guys need to to have some accountability and responsibility also, but the government shouldn't be like, no, trust us. We talk to Google and it's fine because I don't trust you. Well, and that's the problem. I say it all the time is when is the last time the government's gotten involved in something and it actually worked out well? (laughs) Like, I mean, you know, they, they, they get their hands in it and it gets murky as hell. So it's, yeah, we talked about a couple of weeks ago with uh, NASA, you know, you you, you can't get a, a, a a strip screw out because the, (laughs) the, the the tool isn't approved to do it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, we've obviously jumped all around. We've talked about some some serious topics. I had to end with something kind of lighter. So, obviously, we're uh, big fans of Florida Man. I mean, Flor- <laughs> Florida, Florida Man. Man never disappoints. No. So, when I saw that the first ever Florida Man games are going to be featured uh, this year, I was like, whoa, Florida Man games. What the heck is this? So, uh, the games will feature nine bizarre competitions that are inspired by the... Uh, Headlines involving guns, drugs, crime, booze, all that kind of stuff. Evading arrest. Yeah. So there's a there's a uh, evading arrest obstacle course. There's a best mullet contest. Uh, police officers and firefighters are going to battle out for the nine one one fight night brawl of the badges. A category five cash grab. <laughs> Was that that's like, that's like money just like in a, in a wind yep, tunnel, right? Yep. The best mullet. Yeah, I saw that one. Um, it says attendees will also have the opportunity to take selfies with alligators, take part in a barbecue contest, and experience other cultural cultural demonstrations. So it says here that you can send in videos. You know, I am Florida man. You could apply for this. You can do the you could do the arrest evasion obstacle course. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. I I could be a judge. I actually I I have it's still on the website probably. I I for a few years I taught a, a foot patrol a foot. Uh, course for, for capturing bad guys for, for law enforcement. Right. So for guys who are out on foot patrol and had to, to wor- worry about, you know, falling, tripping, it's like a lot of police officers get injured trying to chase guys. And I actually had a very good friend, uh, way back in the day, uh, who got shot, um, you know, going around a blind corner. So we, we developed a class, um, for that, that very thing. And I'm thinking it would be interesting to try to get like, we would put actual, I'm sure they've got actual police officers, but I'd like to like have the officers for a week ahead of time to try to train them up and then judge the evasion uh, <laughs> capabilities of the guys. Like, I oh, think you should get involved. I got news. I got news <laughs> for you, Rob. You're uh, bald like me. So I think that the mullet contest is out for you. Yeah. <laughs> mullet is out. Yeah. It, it is. It, it's something. It, Although know, I, I actually, have to say a bald a scu- mullet, a skullet, a bald mullet would be pretty cool. So even if you like got some extensions on the back of your head there, like just like, the body, like, yeah, <laughs> Oh, Hulk Hogan. (laughs) A decade ago, somebody like, I don't know, I got into a a bet thing with some guy. Like, he had to shave his head at least five days a week for three months, and I had to not shave my beard for three months, and it got (laughs) kind of ridiculous. And I'm thinking if I didn't shave the back of my head for three or four months, I might move into the skullet territory. You'd be there. Well, the uh, this is going to be, let's see, Florida Man Games are slated February. February 24th in St. Augustine. How far are you from St. Augustine, Rob? I'm in St. Augustine. Oh, oh you're man. going to the games. Wow, this was meant for you. But, but I will, I will. This is first, this news is coming out. I think people have seen, I've been kind of transferring my Eastern headquarters from Florida to, to North Carolina and probably by February, I will no longer be a, a Florida resident. Uh, you're going oh. to miss the first ever Florida man games. And, and I'm going to tell people now that I, I, sorry, I just, I can only, 
go so far with the Florida thing. After a decade, it is the Florida games in St. Augustine that's causing me to <laughs> There you go. I love it. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And a very special thanks to Rob for hanging out with us and shopping it up. Be sure to head over to Avidity Arms to check out the PD-10. I have a link in the show notes. And if anyone out there has any opinions or thoughts on tonight's conversation, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, or Spotify, and let your voice be heard. 